Once again, shalom uh, to Gracians who is also online as well. Good morning. Now, we are currently on a series focusing on the book of Revelation. Now, we have covered, those of you who have been following us, you will know that we have covered the first three chapters of Revelation, and we will cover chapters 4 and 5 in today's session. Now, for the last three chapters, if you have been following with us and doing your own reading of Revelation, you will have captured the intense persecution the believers experience under the Roman Empire. And from the first three chapters, you, you could really sense and you, could feel, you can feel that the persecution is so intense that it resulted in believers losing business opportunities that affected livelihood. They could, they could even lead believers into imprisonment and even the risk of being executed by the Romans for refusing to worship the emperor. And it was out of such difficult times that Christ gave to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 a promise each. And these promises are for believers who persevere and overcame. And let me right now revisit some of these promises which will later be linked to my mass, uh, message later. Look at the first promise right now in Revelation 2.10. It says this, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. He said, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So this promise tells us that there's no need to fear death when we know that Christ will be there to receive us and to give us the crown of life. Can someone say amen? Look at the second promise in Revelation 3.5. It says, this, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before His angels. So it is written here that when your name is written in the book of life, you will live with Christ forever. Can someone say amen? One more promise from 321. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. So when you are seated with Christ on His throne, what does that mean? It means that you will rule and reign with Him over the nations. Now as you look at these promises, how many of you look forward to that day? You will receive the crown of life from Christ. Have your name confessed by our Lord Jesus before God and the angels and together, rule and reign with Christ over the nations. How many of you look forward to that day? I do. I look forward to that day when all these will happen before my very eyes. And believers in the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3, they also carry the same hope in their hearts. That one day, one day, they would be with Christ forever. Free from all the trials the sufferings and the persecutions. And that's the topic for today's sermon. One day. That that day will come quickly. 
And the big idea is Jesus' death and resurrection is the basis for hope and redemption of God's human family. It is about Christ's death and resurrection to give us the hope. And to reinforce this hope in Christ, after the end of chapter 3, chapter 4 opens with the divine counsel seen in God's presence. Now, for those of you who are, who are unfamiliar with the divine counsel theology, please scan this QR code on the screen to access the teaching on God's divine family that we did in 2021. Because this teaching on the screen will explain to you what you need to know about God's divine counsel and we will not cover in this sermon because we assume that you have that background. So with that, let me jump into Revelations 4, verse 1 to 4 now. After this, I look and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit. And the I here refers to John. John was in the Spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 elders. So 24 thrones. Around the thrones were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were the 24 elders. Clothed in white garments with golden crown on their heads. Now the divine council scene shows God seated on the throne, surrounded by 24 elders on their respective thrones. Now, we are not told who the 24 elders are, and they are most likely divine beings given a high status and position in God's council. So it is a divine council scene with God and His council members where they were all ready to make decrees and judgments on the earth. Now, many scholars have linked this scene in chapter 4, link it back to Daniel chapter 7, where there was also a divine council scene with the Ancient of Days seated and the Son of Man who appeared and being given dominion and power. Very similar in terms of what happened in Revelation 4 and Daniel chapter 7. And we know today that the Ancient of Days is God the Father and the Son of Man is Jesus Christ. And it is this same divine council scene repeated right now in Revelation 4. Look at verse 6. And before the throne, there, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind them. Basically, it means that they, they could see everything is happening. Verse 7. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. 
And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So verses 6 to 8 describe to us the four living creatures surrounding God's throne. Now this description that we have just read, the description of these four living creatures, it is not new in the Bible. Similar descriptions of such divine beings can also be found in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. So you can see right now, all that John saw could also be seen or found in the Old Testament. Now, one scholar even called these four divine beings throne guardians. They are throne guardians surrounding God's throne. And their role is to represent creation by giving unceasing praise and worship unto God. That's their role, to praise and to worship God. Look at verse 9 now. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they, the 24 elders, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now by now, I hope we notice the unceasing worship surrounding God's throne. Literally 24 by 7. The divine council and all the living creatures around, they were all worshipping God. All the living, all the divine beings, they will bow and give God the praise and worship due to Him. Now, there's so much, right, to take away as you examine chapter 4. And let me break it down with these learning points. Firstly, we can see from chapter 4 in this heavenly scene that opens for us, we can see that God is still in control. The divine council scene appeared immediately after Christ's messages to the seven churches. Now, interestingly enough, the address to the seventh church in Laodicea ended chapter 3 with a promise to sit with Christ on His throne. You can see the verse on the screen. And immediately, right, after this promise, Chapter 4 opens with the scene of God seated on His throne. Now, this, this, scene, this particular scene in chapter 4 strongly encouraged the persecuted believers, encouraged them that God, who was seated on the throne, that God was still in control no matter how bad the situation was for the believers in the seven churches. No matter how powerful, how evil the Roman Empire was, our God was still in complete control of the believer's destiny. So you must understand that when they saw the throne room scene, it brought much encouragement to them. You see, church, earthly empires and thrones will come and go. We know that. 
But God's heavenly throne remains forever. And He alone determines the outcomes on the earth. Can somebody say amen? So chapter 4 tells us that we must not fear the thrones on earth, but rather give full attention to God's throne in heaven. Our attention must be on the throne above and not on the earthly throne here. And my question to all of us amidst all the shakings around us is this. Is God's throne firmly established and entrenched in your life? Is God's throne established firmly in our lives? You know, during the last month of corporate prayer that we started 1st July to the 8th of August, we received many requests to pray for healing, uh, or healing from sicknesses. And I want to show you that we prayed over every prayer card that came in, every online request that, that was sent in. We prayed for all of them. And I believe all my heart that some of you will or may even have received God's healing in your body. And I still get what's happening in the last one month. I want you to know that if God, even if God does not heal you, I want you to believe and know that God is still in control here and also beyond this life. Our God is still in control, whether there's healing or no healing. Now, some of you may ask, they say, Pastor, does the sovereign God, does our sovereign God allow His people to die of sickness and unfortunate situations? Well, when I look at Scripture, my answer to you is yes. Sometimes it happens. And that is why Christ promised the crown of life to the persecuted believers in Smyrna, chapter 2.10. Because why did Christ promise them? Because some of them died in persecution. As far as God is concerned, God is not afraid that we will die from this life and move into eternity. Whether it is this life or in eternity, God is still in full control in both realms. Can somebody say amen to that? And Jesus Christ is the Lord of this world and the next as well, where we are destined to be with Him. And that is why the four living beings, they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You see, church, our God transcends time. He was there in the past who was. is here in the present who is. And He will be there in eternity with us and is to come. Therefore, church, Focus on God who is on the throne. No matter how scary sicknesses can be, be it cancer or other terminal illnesses, do not fear these sickness thrones that are afflicting you today. Yes, these sicknesses can weaken you and make your life difficult. But remember, please remember that God is still in control. Even if God does not heal you on earth, please persevere in your faith and know that there is a crown of life waiting for you on the other side 
and Christ will confess your name before God and His angels when He receives you. So can someone say amen? That's our hope, my friend. Hope of Christ's redemption. So tell neighbor on your left and right, tell them right now, God is still in control. Our God is still in control. Now let me move to the second learning point derived from chapter 4. The second learning point is that God alone deserves our worship. Look at verse 10 now. The 24 elders, they fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now, no matter how high the divine status of the 24 elders, they bowed and took off their crowns to worship the Almighty God. It was their way of saying that their status, their position were delegated and given to them by God. Their crowns and status were nothing when compared to God. And church, may the Lord show us whether we have allowed anything or anyone in our lives to stop us from worshipping God? Have we been too busy in our careers and family where we have no time even to worship God? Have we allowed our desire for worldly positions and achievements to take away our time with our Lord Jesus Christ? For some of us here, we need to step off the thrones of our lives. Some of us need to step off the throne of our titles, our achievements, and maybe even our careers to bow before God and acknowledge again that we are His servants, stewards of the resources entrusted to us. You see, church, for some of us, God is speaking to you to step off from your throne and let God be in control again. It is about surrendering, surrendering again to God, everything important to you. And when you step off your throne and worship God, you acknowledge that He is on the throne and God is in complete control of your life, of your career, of your family, of your marriage, of everything <laughs> vital to you. And may this heavenly scene, chapter 4, remind us that we must not allow our human titles, our accomplishments on earth from inhibiting us to worship and surrender to God. Can somebody say amen? So with this chapter 4, let me move to chapter 5 right now. Examine chapter 5, verse 1 now. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, a scroll written within and on the back. They mean both sides of the scroll. Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Seven seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. 
And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. They must look into the content. Now, chapter 5 outlines or continues for us the divine council scene where God held onto a scroll and this scroll had seven seals on it. Now, you must understand that important ancient documents had seals to verify that the content was not open and read by anyone except the intended recipient. So the problem here was that no one, in chapter 5, the problem here was that no one was worthy enough to open the scroll from God's hand. So what was written, what was in the content of this scroll? Well, scholars believe that the scroll contained God's plan of judgment and redemption which has been set in motion by Christ's death and resurrection, but has yet to be completed. So by looking at the content, you would know what's going to happen in the future. And if no one could open the scroll, John could not know God's plan for his people who were, suffer- who were suffering, right? So that's why, that's why John wept. He cried because he wanted to know the hope and all that's happening that God has and God's plan for his people. Look at verse 5 now. And one of the elders said to him, Weep no more. Behold, the, the lamb or the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns. And with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, this is the interesting part. Because one moment it was said to be the lion of Judah, and then John turned and saw a lamb. Now, what was happening here? Now, this part requires some unpacking. Now, you must understand that in Jewish interpretation, the term lion of Judah comes from Genesis 49 verse 9. And this verse pointed to the coming of the Messiah. So in verse 5, when the elder mentioned the conquering Messiah was worthy to open the scroll, he said the loud Judah, that's the person who can open the scroll. And when John turned to look at this line of Judah, he saw a lamb instead. So from a lion, he turned and saw a lamb. And this lamb was described as had been slain, meaning that this, this lamb died, but now was alive. And the lamb has seven horns on his head, meaning that he had the fullness of strength. Seven means complete, full. It's full he has fullness of strength. So this lamb was a resurrected figure who carried great strength. So combining verses 5 and 6 together, the resurrected lamb was also the lion of Judah. And we know today that that the lamb that was slain, conquered death, and resurrected from the grave is our Lord Jesus Christ. So tell your neighbor on your left and right one more time, tell him or her, Christ is the lion and the lamb. That's right. He's both the lion and the lamb. That's how we get this term, lion and the lamb, right? From this verse. Revelation 5, 7 says this, And he went 
and took the scroll. That means this lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Now take note that in, initially, the earlier in chapter 4, the elders were worshipping God. And the moment the lamb appeared, they shifted their attention to worship the lamb. And what happened? Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now the divine beings around God's throne, they fell face down before Jesus Christ. And as they fell before Christ, they each held a harp and golden bowl of incense, which were the prayers of God's people. What, what are these prayers? These prayers are prayers for vindication and deliverance from their sufferings. Look at verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 10 again reinforces the belief that those loyal to God will one day reign and rule and reign with Christ on earth over the nations. So with this, let me unpack right now another two more learning points from chapter 5. So the third learning point is this, that Jesus Christ conquered through suffering. Our Lord Jesus conquered through suffering. Now, the concept of the lion and the lamb clearly shows us that Christ became the lion of Judah through his suffering, through his death, his resurrection as the lamb of God. The lamb who died on the cross conquered death and sin and resurrected victorious over all spiritual forces of evil. Now, if you notice that in Christ's death and resurrection, Christ did not conquer with military force and violence like what the Romans did. He didn't. Instead, he conquered through unbearable pain, shame, suffering, and death. And you can see that the Christian faith, within our Christian faith, there's a very strong theological foundation in suffering. It is not true to say that believers will never experience any form of physical suffering and pain. Those who propagate this, those who propagate that Christians will not suffer, do not understand the full counsel of God's Word. Because if you look at the book of Revelation, this book was written to believers suffering severely many, many decades after Christ's death and resurrection. And the theme of suffering and persecution runs through the pages of Revelation. And church, when we see another believer suffering, we must not be too quick to say that it is because of sin in this person's life. May we never be too quick to do that. Why? Because God uses suffering to form our inward character and enables us to rely more and more on Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we go around looking for suffering and pain, right? I'm not saying that, right? I'm not saying that. I didn't say that. 
I pray that you will not have many of them in your life. But, but church, we must not fear suffering if it ever comes into our lives. Yes, suffering is not pleasant, but it may be necessary for some of us. But more importantly, we can model after the example of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who suffered and yet emerged victorious. Christ is our example. He conquered through suffering. So tell neighbor on your left and right one more time. Tell neighbor right now, Christ suffered and overcame. That's the third learning point. Let me move to the fourth learning point from chapter 5, and that is, believers' prayers are like incense unto God. Now, verse 8 tells us that the 24 elders were carrying golden bowls of incense, which were the prayers of God's people. Now, this scene here does not mean that our prayers are stored in golden bowls whenever we pray. It doesn't mean that, right? You must understand that in this text here, there are metaphors. Metaphors that tells us that our prayers are likened, likened to incense that goes directly to God. So, the, you see, you, you, I mean, all of us will know, right, that incense smell fills the place with its fragrance whenever it is used. And you cannot miss the incense fragrance as it awakens your physical senses, right? And if you understand that concept, so when our prayers are likened to incense, it signifies that God hears the prayers. We cried out to Him. Our, our prayers to ascend to God and you awaken God's senses the way that incense will awaken ours. So tell neighbor right now, God hears your prayers. Very important. And with that, let me address a particular wrong teaching that has been floating around in the church world. Now, in the recent years, there have been false teachings that encourage believers to go to the courts of heaven to have their prayers answered. And this teaching emphasizes the need to go to the court of heaven. Don't know where is it, but you must go there. Where a believer goes, goes to God, gives God who, who is the judge, the legal right over his life so that God can act on his behalf. There's this concept that you must give to God the legal rights so that God can act on your behalf. Now, the problem with this teaching is that you will never find this concept of prayer in the Bible. You don't find it. And I find it absurd that, that one must give God the legal rights of his life before God can do anything. Because such teaching has lowered God to one of the angels around His throne. Because God does not need anyone to give Him legal right to do anything. God has the full right to do whatever He wants because He is seated on His throne. Jesus Christ has all the power and authority as depicted in Revelation 5, where He determines, He alone determines the outcome of the world. Now, this false teaching also states that we must approach God as a judge in our prayers. And as far as I know, our Lord Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew 6, 9, right? 
And the verse begins in, 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 chapter nine, in verse 9 of Matthew 6 saying this, Our Father in heaven. As far as I know, we are to approach God as our Father and not to pray to Him as a judge. Yes, Christ will be the judge at the second coming. He will judge the world for His disobedience and reward believers for our believing loyalty. But from now until Christ's coming, we are to approach God as our heavenly Father. Can somebody say amen? That God is our Father. May we never forget that. This teaching also advocates for one to go to the cross of heaven. Don't know where is it? Doesn't matter. To seek, to go to the cross of heaven to seek the secrets of heaven for one's life. And whenever, my friend, I mean, for all of us here, Christians and, and believers, whenever you hear believers discussing some secrets of heaven, please be on high alert. It's the same kind of verbiage that says that the secrets of becoming a millionaire. It's the same. Be very, very careful. Whenever anyone tells you, I have the secrets of heaven, please be on, on the alert. High alert. Because Christ warned the church in Tyatira, chapter 2, verse 24, not to be taken in by the secrets of Satan. This lie has been there from the start of the church until now. And as far as the Bible is concerned, there are no more secrets that we need to know except what is written in the Scriptures. And church, I find it amazing that it is already so difficult to obey God's written word in the Bible and yet some of us are still so eager to follow secrets that are not in God's word. Amazing, isn't it? Therefore, be very careful not to be taken in by such false teachings on prayer to God. There's no need for other forms of access to God except through Jesus Christ, our Lord, King, Saviour, the Lamb, and the Lion of Judah. Can someone say amen? amen? Remember that, church. Never, never forget that. I pray that our eyes are open to see that Jesus Christ is our hope and redemption on earth and in eternity. And let me summarize right now. The four learning points from Revelations 4 and 5. Number one is God is still in control. Number two, God alone deserves our worship. Not our career, not any thrones in our life. Number three, Jesus Christ conquered through suffering. Number four, believers' prayers are like incense unto God. They go straight up to God and God hears us. Can somebody say amen? So we every head bow, every eye closed. I, I have two calls for us to respond to God's word today. And I believe that God is speaking to different ones of us here right now. And the first call is for those of us going through difficult times. You may be afflicted with sickness or you are going through some tough, very tough challenges in your life right now. Some of you here, you may be shaken by the doctor's prognosis or you may be shaken because you have emotional turmoil 
because of challenges at home or at work. Today, God's word to you is this, that your Lord Jesus Christ is still in complete control of heaven and earth. That's what Revelations 4 and 5 is telling us today, that God is still in control, in control both in heaven and on earth. He is in complete control of your life and situation and you need, and today if you need God to shift your eyes, to shift your heart, to shift your entire being towards God, to see that He is seated on the throne in heaven and He is in total control of everything around you. And today you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to see God in control right now. He's the God who sits in heaven. I want to shift my, I need God to shift my eyes. I need God to shift my heart to see that my Lord Jesus Christ is in full control of the situation. If that's you, lift your hands all over this place right now. All over this place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands, many hands. You're lifting up your hands because you know that only God, only God can change a perspective. Only God can help you find the assurance in your heart again. Hallelujah. If that's you, you know you need God to help you. Lift your hands right now all over this place. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I see many hands, many hands all over cross. Thank you. The second call is for those of you whom the Holy Spirit is speaking regarding the thrones of your life. The thrones of success, throne of career, throne of achievements. And today you want God to help you not to allow other thrones in your life to replace God's throne in your heart. You're saying, God, no rival thrones in my life except the throne of Jesus Christ in my life. And you want to lay before God your crowns, your achievements, where God is in total control of your life. You're saying, and you know God is convicting you not to allow any other thrones to take His place in your life. If that's you, and you know that, you're saying, God, no, I will not allow that. God, you take the center place in my heart, in my spirit. If that's you, lift your hands all over this place right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands as you all. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands all across this place. Lift your hands as the Lord speaks to you. You say, God, I'm responding to your word, responding to what you're saying to, into my heart. No rival throne will take your place in my heart today. Hallelujah. I invite all of us to stand right now as the team comes to lead us to respond to God's Word. And I believe God has spoken all over this place. And I sense right now that some of us need to come to the altar. Some of us, those of you who lifted up your hands, some of you may not have lifted up your hands, it doesn't matter. But if you know that you want to respond to God, I want you to come if you need prayers. And you want the alignment in your heart towards God's throne. You want God to reign supreme in your heart. Whatever your need may be, if there is one, I want you to come and bring them to the Lord right now. I want to open the altars. The pastors and the, and the leaders will be here to pray with you. So if you have a need, wherever you are in the gallery, in this, in this level, come quickly to the altar and say, God, you are the center of it all in my life, in my family in my marriage, all over my life. God, I place you right at the center of it all. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, Jesus, at the center of it all. If you need prayer, you come quickly right now.
To touch you, to move in your life. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus at the center of it all. Let's just begin to worship Him. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning, from beginning to the end, it will always be. Oh, it's always been you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Sing from my heart to the heavens. He is in the center of everything. Right from our homes to our workplaces, may God's throne be established. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. From my heart to the heavens. Come on, make you a prayer this morning, church. That's right, come on, raise those voices. It's all about Him. Yes, it's all about From my heart. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Come on, declare yes, one more time. It's all Out of faith. About you. With all hearts. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Say one more time, Jesus, Jesus at the center of our life. Jesus be the center of my life. Jesus be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been.